Well, good morning. Sometimes I get special privilege, and I've had that this morning. You know, Scott Lake is a blessed church. We have a lot to be thankful for. This is the third worship service I've been a part of this morning. I got to worship with the 8 o'clock service. I got to worship with the modern service over there. And I got to catch some worship in this service. And it has all been glorious. We have worshiped the Lord together, and I am so thankful for it. It has been such an encouragement to my heart today. We're starting a new series on unity, and that was the bumper for that. And uh, actually, uh, through Mother's Day morning, we're going to spend time looking at several passages. On Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, parts of those. We're going to be looking at, as Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus about unity, what can we learn from that? And then on Sunday evenings... We're going to be looking at different scriptures throughout the Bible that will encourage us in the same way about the unity that we are to have. Uh, I told the other service as I was there, there is not any problem that I know of with unity in our church, but I also know that every church that I've ever known could always use a little reminder to be unified. Unity does not happen by accident. We don't just wake up and stumble into unity. First of all, it's part of the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But then secondly, we have to walk in unity. We have to get up and say, I'm going to obey the call of Jesus on my life to be unified. And we're going to see that uh, starting this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verses 11 through 22. I've entitled this morning's message, Jesus' Ministry of Unity. And the big question is, how has Jesus brought unity? Let me read our text, and then we'll jump into the message. Uh, Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Would you pray with me? 
Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought, that you would help me to proclaim and proclaim clearly what it is your word says here. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, we have so many things to be thankful for. We have so many blessings. God, I pray that we truly would be a church that walks in unity with one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul here is writing to a predominantly Gentile church, and he is expressing that they have become united with all believing Jews and that that unity is real. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about why that unity may be hard to adjust to and hard to accept, but there is unity. We, I suspect, are a primarily Gentile congregation, and this is our truth. It's our reality. It is what God has done in our lives and what he has done in every believer's life. The first thing I want us to see is the former separation. These two groups were divided. There was a separation between these two groups. There really was an animosity between the two. There was a dividing wall between the two, uh, and it was bad. Uh, We see former separation, but on on letter number A, I want to see a call to remember. Paul says, I want you to remember how you were separated. I want you to remember how real the division was. Look there in verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. He says, I want you to remember where you were. This is a good thing for believers to do, by the way. We ought to remember where we were before Jesus. Now, your testimony may be similar to mine, or it may be very different from mine. You may have come to Christ at a very early age. You may not have spent much time in rebellion, may not have become a professional at sin, or you may have come to Christ at a much later age, and you may have really uh, become a professional at sin. Uh, but either way, our testimony is the same in this. We were sinners lost in our sins, and our only hope was Jesus. And so we have experienced forgiveness if we are believers. We have been made new creation in Christ Jesus, and we have experienced new life. And so we need to remember from time to time where we come from. We need to remember that we were lost in our sins. We need to remember that it required Jesus' death on the cross to provide the forgiveness of our sins. We need to remember that there are lots of people just like we were out there still lost in their sins. But he has a call to remember. But then to these Jewish, I mean, I'm sorry, to these Gentile believers, he wants them to remember how they were divided from the Jews, the the previous abuse that they experienced. Look at me, look at verse 11. I want to read that whole verse again. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. I'm going to be honest here. Um, uh, this is a little awkward for me. Um, I try to keep my sermons as PG as possible, and so I'm going to do that this morning. But I want you to know that the English translation that I just read from and the English translation that you just read from do not fully express the vulgarity of what those Gentiles were called. Uh, we have made it PG in our uh, Bibles. Uh, they are called the uncircumcised. But if you look in the original language, it is a vulgar term that is used about the Gentiles, that the Jewish, that the Jewish uh, folks 
would use to talk about Gentiles. We know this just from reading our scripture that there was a dividing line. Do you remember how even the disciples were shocked and would be like, Jesus, do you know that she is a Samaritan? Do you know that she's a Gentile? Do you know that she's half Gentile? Why in the world did you talk to her? Uh, all throughout, particularly the Old Testament, but also even in the early New Testament in the Gospels, we see that there is this dividing line where Gentiles are seen as unclean, should not be associated with, should not be talked to, should be avoided at all costs. In fact, if you remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan, like the crowd was shocked that it's the Samaritan that stopped and was shown to be good because Samaritans couldn't be good in the Jewish mind. And this is where there is a battle line drawn. Now, we all know in churches, and I'm or never in this church and never with you, but in some churches, some people sit over on this side of the church and others sit on this side of the church, and when there's a time to, to welcome and fellowship, they wait to see who's going which direction so they can go the opposite direction and, and greet others and then avoid... Now, no, y'all have never done that, but I hear in some Baptist churches it happens because we didn't talk to somebody in the hallway or because there was some other slight offense. But what if this side of the congregation, sorry guys, y'all are the bad group this morning. What if this side of the congregation had spent their entire lives yelling slurs at this congregation, at this side of the congregation? What if you had hated this side of the congregation the entire time? You thought they were less than people, that you talked about how dirty they were, how awful they were, how unhuman they were, and now we're brought into this congregation. Might that be a difficult thing to deal with? Oh my. But that's exactly what Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to a Gentile church and saying, you're not at odds with the Jewish believers anymore. Jesus has brought you together as one. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he has done that same work here. He's calling them to remember the previous abuse. By the way, we're going to see this in just a moment. We're called into unity if God can bring Jew and Gentile believer together in Christ, surely he can bring Baptist brother and sister in unity together. So we see the previous abuse there, but I also want you to see the previous state in verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. By the way, that is the state of every non-believer See, that's my testimony before I came to Christ. I can put my name in verse 12. At that time, Richard was without Christ. Richard was excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Richard was a foreigner to the covenants of promise. Richard was without hope and without God in the world. But Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. And if you're a believer here this morning, that's your testimony. We ought to remember where we've come from. We were without Christ, we were without hope, we were separated, but now in Christ Jesus we have been brought near. And if you've been brought near, and 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 I've been brought near, and we are new believers in Christ Jesus, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are a family, and it doesn't matter what might divide us, what unites us is bigger than anything that could divide us. And so we ought to get busy being unified. We ought to get busy loving our brother and sister. We ought to get busy serving and being kind to our brothers and sisters. How many of you have family? 
How many of you have perfect family? Brother Fabricio, I love you, but that is not the truth. <laughs> you are a part of your family, brother, and so you do not have perfect family. <laughs> Can I say to you that we don't have a perfect spiritual family either? If we look around this room, we are all sinners. Now, most of us are sinners saved by Christ, and that is what we stand in. But none of us are perfect. None of us are what we ought to be. We're all going to cause offense. We're all going to, to cause difficulty. We're all going to be difficult to love sometimes. And just like your family has real issues and real problems from time to time, spiritual family has real issues and real problems from time to time. My children are not perfect, but I love them. Uh, sometimes they drive me crazy, but I love them. And in the spiritual family, we are not perfect, but we are called to love one another. Sometimes we will drive each other crazy, but at the end of the day, we are called to love and forgive one another and to show each other grace. And so we see the former separation uh, that is a reality. He is writing to a, gent a Gentile congregation and saying, don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget how hated you were. That's not where he stops. He moves on secondly to the work of Christ. In verses 13 and following, I want to read verse 13 again, but now, boy, those are beautiful words in Scripture. Almost always they follow the bad news. You were lost. You were without Christ. You were in your sins. But now Jesus has forgiven you. And now we find that same ver those same words here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know if you circle in your Bible, but between verses 14 and 18, the word peace is used over and over again. For he is our peace. Um, verse 15, at the end, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Uh, verse 17, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He has preached to the Jew and the Gentile that I am no longer allowing you to be divided, but I am bringing you together under the lordship of Christ. All who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus are no longer Jew or Gentiles. Now they are Christians. Now they are believers. Now they are Christ followers. Now they are one new group in the body of Christ, in the household of faith, as we'll see in a little bit. So the work of Christ is, first of all, a really big transition. I, I want you to think back to what I said earlier. If this side of the congregation, the really bad ones, had been over here hating this side, how easy would it be for us to go, well, I'm really glad that we're all here in church this morning. Like, I mean, really, like if it was that hatred, we had grown up hating one another, it'd be hard. But that's what the work of Christ is, is to bring unity where it's hard. By the way, if he can bring lost, sinning human beings into right relationship to a holy God, he can unite us as sinners together. And that is the work of Christ. And so he's brought us into right relationship to God, and now he is bringing us into right relationship with each other. And so maybe we do have a past. Maybe there are people who have offended us in this room. But because of the work of Christ, we forgive and we love and we serve and we work really hard at being 
unified. There is a big transition. That transition is the work of Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that is the source of the change. It is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we can be united. It is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we can have the forgiveness of our sins and be brought into right relationship with God and be brought into right relationship with one another. You see, we call each other brother and sister for several reasons. One, there's a lot of us, and sometimes it's hard to remember everybody's name. But secondly, we're doing theology It is a theological statement for us to say, those who believe in Jesus are my brother and my sister. We are proclaiming a gospel truth. You are my eternal family. It is an eternal reality. We who have repented of our sins and and found forgiveness in Jesus, we're an eternal family. We get to spend eternity together. We're going to be there together. You're my brother and my sister. And if I'm willing to overlook quirks and difficulties in my earthly family, how much more so should I in my spiritual family? We're, we're proclaiming an eternal truth. By the way, can I, um, can I stretch this a little bit beyond our congregation this morning? You know that there are not going to be Baptist sections and Presbyterian sections and Methodist sections in heaven, right? Now, there are a lot of jokes that go around, and they're funny. But the eternal truth is every person of every age from every country who has ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ is our brother and our sister in Christ. And we will all be gathered together around the throne of that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship him. So even those who are maybe at a Presbyterian church in Lakeland this morning, or those that are a non-denominational church in a country that I can't even pronounce in a language I don't know this morning, are more my brother and sister than my actual human brother and sister if they don't know Christ. And so there is a unity that is the spiritual working of Christ that sometimes we just want to ignore. Well, they may be my brother and sister in Christ, but they said something mean to me 12 years ago, and I hadn't gotten over it. Brother and sister, can I help you this morning? Get over it. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a spiritual and eternal reality. So there is the source of change. It is Jesus. But what is the change? We've already looked at it. It is peace. It is peace. If Jews and Gentiles can be brought together in peace through Jesus Christ, then heaven help us Baptists can be brought together in peace. The work of Christ is bringing us together. No longer are we divided, but we are at peace with him and at peace with one another. Then Paul moves on to our current unity in verses 19 through 22. He says, so then, because of the work of Christ, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now, I would suspect, I don't know this for true, but for sure, but I suspect that most of our citizenship is in the United States. Even Brother Fa is a citizen of the United States. He, he may be one of the newest ones, but he is. We are citizens of the United States, and there's a, a lot of good things about that. But I want to tell you the spiritual reality is, is that ultimately my citizenship is not in the United States. 
that my citizenship is in heaven. And the spiritual, eternal reality is, is that I am fellow citizens with believers of every country of every time as citizens in heaven far more than I am a citizen of the United States. Now, I am thankful to God that I am a citizen of the United States in reality as far as my actual legal definition of citizenship. But in a much greater way, we are citizens of heaven And I can't imagine what it's going to be like when all the citizens of heaven from every nation, every tribe, every name, and every tongue are gathered together. And friends, that's that's the reality. That's what's going to happen. And so we are fellow citizens. God has said to all those who believe in Jesus Christ, you are now a citizen of heaven. Your citizen is transferred from some place on this earth to an eternal citizenship in heaven. So we're fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. But then also in that verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with saints and members of God's household. We are part of the household of God. We are a part of his family. That is the spiritual reality of being brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs with Christ to God's kingdom. We are co-heirs. We are brothers and sisters. We're a family. Some of us are older brothers and sisters, and some of us are younger brothers and sisters, and you get to decide which one you are. But we're brothers and sisters. We are God's family through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are fellow citizens. We're members of God's house, but here's a beautiful picture that Paul uses as an illustration. We are the dwelling place of the Spirit. Look at verses 21 and 22. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Now, as Paul was writing to Ephesus, what he was saying is, church at Ephesus, you Gentile believers, what you need to understand is, is that God is using Gentile blocks and Jewish blocks, and he is building up a temple. And that's exactly true even to this day. But the way that we might want to say it here for Scott Lake is he's using you as a block and 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 all who believe in Jesus, you are a block or a brick being built together around the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ into a spiritual living temple that is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. The same Holy Spirit that indwells me and dwells every believer in this place, every believer in Lakeland, every believer in Florida, every believer in the United States, every believer on this earth that is living or has ever lived or will ever live. And we are the temple of God being brought together brick by brick, individual by individual around the cornerstone of Jesus to be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So if the spiritual truths are we've been brought near, we've been made a family and we're being built together into the same building, what kind of family do we want to be? What kind of building do we want to be? Now, I'll just tell you, growing up, my family was a dysfunctional family. We didn't know Jesus. I'm thankful that most of my family has come to know Christ. We were a dysfunctional family. We don't, you don't want any part of that. We don't want to be a part of a dysfunctional family. We want to be a family that is walking in unity and love. What about buildings? Anybody ever been in a building that has holes and gaps and the wind blows through and 
Maybe there are rats running around. I mean, we want to be that kind of building? No, we want to be a solid building built around the cornerstone of Jesus on the foundation of the prophets and the, and the, the Old Testament and on the Word of God. But in order to do that, we're going to have to be a family and a building that get together, that walk in unity, that practice love, that practice forgiveness of one another. What is the ministry of Jesus? One aspect of the ministry of Jesus is unity, calling those who were divided and apart into him, into one body, into one family, into one building, towards one eternity, for his glory. The question is, will we live like it, and will we walk in it? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the ministry of Jesus. I'm thankful for this passage and for Paul's ministry and for his words to the church at Ephesus and to his, his words to the church at Scott Lake Baptist Church this morning. God, I pray that we would take the spiritual realities that you have worked in us and among us to heart, that we would remember we are your family, that you have redeemed my brothers and sisters just as you have redeemed me, that you love my brothers and sisters just as you love me, that you desire that I would serve my brothers and sisters well, that we would love each other, that we would walk in unity, that we would remember where we used to be, far away from Christ, separated from Christ, lost in our sins, but now, because of the work of Jesus, we are redeemed. We are a redeemed family. God, I pray that as we contemplate this, we would walk in obedience to what you call us, that we would work hard at loving one another, that we would work hard at showing kindness and grace and mercy and forgiveness to each other. Lord, for this invitation time, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives as you see fit. It is in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This morning's message has really been about the work of Christ and the life of his people. I don't want to take for granted that everybody in this room knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you don't, I want to as clearly as I can tell you what the gospel says. It says that we are all sinners, that we've all missed the mark, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that we deserve death because of our sins. But the good news of the gospel is God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus so that he might die bearing our sins so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins, and be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior today, this invitation time would be a wonderful time to make that decision. I'd love to open God's word, show you how you can do that. I'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, I'd love for you to come and pray at the altar. Maybe the Lord's laid another decision on your heart. You simply be obedient to him. Let's stand as we sing our hymn of decision.
Well, some of you may know and some of you may not know, before Brother Allen comes to pray, we have a tradition here. Uh, we are paying off our mortgage, and we've made a lot of progress on that. But as we cross each $100,000 threshold, we have a tradition of singing the doxology. And so in the last, I think, 10 days or so, we crossed another threshold. We are below $1.2 million now. We sit at $1,192,402. So, we're going to sing the doxology this morning, and after the doxology, Brother Allen will come, he'll pray for our, the dismissal of our service and for our offering, but let's sing our doxology and celebrate what God has done through us as a church family. Praise Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking that you would bless the offering that's to be given, that, Lord, you would multiply it and you would use it for your glory and your honor, both here at Scott Lake and throughout the world. Lord, we also don't want to forget our search committee. We want to lift them up to you that as they're seeking the man that you have in store for us, that, Lord, you would guide them, you would illuminate them, you would bless them, and you would lead them to the man that you have for us. As we go today, we go rejoicing because we have truly coming into your presence today. We have been blessed, we have worshipped, we have sung, and, Lord, we have basked in your glory. We acknowledge you today. And it's in Jesus' precious and most holy name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 